Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Podcast. Firstly, thank you to everyone who's been to see me on tour so far. Favisham the other night was amazing. And particular thanks um, to the bloke who came in the Forest Retro Away kit. And uh, was sure it wasn't a full kit. Sat on the second row. Man, that absolutely made my life. So thank you very much. Uh, as always, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And lots of you have been getting in touch. It's always nice to know where people listen. It's always nice to hear your, your uh, very, very kind uh, feedback. Um, so do keep that coming in. You may hear a number of things um, on this show that make you want to get in touch. I won't give anything away, but uh, there's, uh, if you have any information, let me put it that way, do get in touch. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and my tour has been, as with Article 50, extended. So I've had a two big nights in London at the Underbelly Festival on the South Bank on the 22nd of April. That's I think that's a Monday, the 22nd of April, at the end of the bank holiday. Um and the Bloomsbury Theatre on the 25th of May. I think that's Saturday the 25th of May. So do come along to those. You can get tickets for all my tour shows on the website, mattford.com slash live. And soon I'm coming to Salford, the Lowry. I've had an extra date, uh, the 9th of May there. Um, on the 10th of May, I'm in Aberystwyth. On the 12th, Edinburgh the Stand. On the 13th of May, Glasgow Stand. On the 14th of May, Newcastle Stand. On the 18th of May, Chorley Little Theatre. And on the 24th of May, Camberley. And then there's two big London dates. And very exciting, I can announce who the next three guests are at the political party. At the end of April, I'll be joined by prominent ERG member, Suella Braverman. At the end of May, I'll be joined by Kent Clark. And at the end of June, by Keir Starmer. So three whopping guests um, in terms of their political stature coming up, which is very, very exciting. Today's guest is someone I've been a fan of for quite some time. I love his Brexit podcast, and I thoroughly recommend it, regardless of what side of the fence you're on. It's conducted with great charm and fascinating insight, and a real sense of humour. Um, he's Christopher Hope. He's been at uh, The Telegraph for a, a very long time now, as a highly experienced political journalist, and he played a crucial role in the MPs, or more to the point, exposing the MPs' expenses scandal. So, enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined today by one of my favourite political journalists, the Chief Political Correspondent and Assistant Editor of the Daily Telegraph, Christopher Hope. Christopher, welcome to the show. Hi Matt, thank you for having me on. Great it's to be here. A, it's a pleasure to have you here. I was recently on your Chopper's Brexit podcast. That's right. Which is a brilliant podcast. I'd, um, thank you. I, 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 I'm always trying to guard against living in an echo chamber, even though it's yes. inevitable yes. in some way. And I, on so even though I was aware of the podcast, I, I, I tweeted out to my followers: Can anyone recommend a good pro-Brexit podcast? Because I was aware that I was only consuming negative stuff. And I subscribed to the Spectator, and I do read the Telegraph, so I was getting in print. But I wanted something, an audio mm. pro-Brexit thing. And your podcast is brilliant. <laughs> Very good, thank you. It's so good because it is balanced. It's not just actually pro-Brexit. No. You do get all sides on there, but it's it's got a kind of cheery demeanour to it. Well, yeah, we record it in the Red Lion pub, <laughs> so that, that gets a deal. And that's because we weren't allowed to record it in the House of Commons. I work in the House of Commons. My my office is overlooking Parliament Square. You think yeah. of Big Ben. Those windows left to right, and the fifth window along. That's me. Give me a wave. Any of your listeners, <laughs> shout. Actually, some, some bloke shout, stop Brexit at me every single evening. <laughs> I feel like shouting. No, I don't shout, shout back at him. I often wave at him. He's called St- uh, Steve. Steve, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got this massive, uh, comically large megaphone <laughs> where he just screams at car windows. <laughs> 
So he's got a lot so, of energy. So Theresa May came in just before PMQs on Wednesday, and he was outside about a foot of my window, going, "Stop Brexit! Not going very well, is it?" And I thought, <laughs> I tweeted, "You know, you've got to feel sorry for the PM having a bloke. It's like a massive, like one of those cartoon megaphones. It's so, it's so British. It's it you know, yeah. it like, it's like, you know." And he's the one, people will recognise him, he's the one with the big top hat. hat. Yeah. He's the one with the big banner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's kind of become a bit of a folk hero in, in, and also a bit of an irritant. An irritant to, to I'm some. sure to, to the other side and, and maybe on his own side as well. Yeah, but we record the podcast in the Red Lion pub. We... So well, that's it. So why can't you record it in Parliament? Well, I asked permission. Yeah. And they're a bit weird about recording things. I record things in our lobby room in the House of Commons. I'm chairman of the lobby this year, which means I look after all the interests of all the pop, of journalists dealing with, with the executive, with, with, with the government. But they, the, what was told to me was if I record it in, in a cafe, in one of the Commons cafes, I might overhear a private conversation with an MP and a constituent on a neighbouring table. And that very risk was enough to ban me from recording. But we started this two years ago. Okay. Um, 101 episodes so far. Our 100th episode was March 29th this year. Oh, my So word. that was my mic drop moment. <laughs> Boom. Out. And then hope, a- hope out. It was meant to be hope out. <laughs> but 1.6 million downloads and listens. So we've got a Great. listenership. 16,000. It's about the same as a kind of Luton capacity game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same audience. I think it's it's a it's why well, it's probably a lot of, lot of I, I get like my son's a season ticket holder, so I go to a lot of Luton games. But uh, no, it's a kind of you know it's a good stadium sized audience for <laughs> for Brexit, and we don't really try and you know fight Brexit. We we try and accept it as a reality and look beyond it into what might happen. So we're trying to look at the opportunity of Brexit and what can happen. So that's why it's a bit different. I think you can't really get that in other podcasts. No, and that's that's why it's a good thing to listen to. So it comes uh, fully recommended. And even if you're not a Brexiteer, it's just good to listen to yeah. it and, and just get that perspective and test your own... And email uh, me your thoughts if you're not one and come and listen. We'd love to have you in a pub and we'll buy you a coffee, I think. So you've been on Matt, haven't you? I loved it. And you it, loved it. You know what I love about it? I think it's good that you record it in the red line because it's still in that world, yeah. so it still feels insidery, but it's kind of... It's a rebellious outpost of yeah. that world. Well, you feel more... You're close enough, but that, enough distance. That's right. You're, looking, you're like a last Smith and Jones from the, in the old day, looking at, looking at, just looking at the people yes. in a pub, just talking. And you don't need to have a, a fake row like the BBC have a, a, you know, have a row. It's more just to understand what's going on and the mod motivation. You say that, but the Adonis Farage episode yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> that really we is. Do. Start with that as, a, as an entry yeah. point. We call that the rumble and the red line. <laughs> oh, so that was so good. Side by side. Yeah, I think they both enjoyed it. Um, and he, he Adonis he, he says he likes me and thinks I'm a complete professional when I met him. So um, I like him. And I think he's got a, a point of view. Farage has one, as we know. And we have to... Get on after all this hurdle, don't we, Matt? We do indeed, and, and indeed during it. And during it, correct. <laughs> which would be handy. Um, you're chair of the lobby, which is a very uh, prestigious role to have. Mm. Um, we've had lobby journalists on before. It's fascinating hearing you know, that perspective and inside that relatively secretive world. Um, what then is the role of the lobby chair in terms of liaising with the government or, or specifically with Downing Street so we so we have a, we have a room which is our, our own room um, and my name's on, on the board in that room forever forever like at, like at school you know oh, like I've never got anything at school but I'm on the board in the House of Commons but um, it's more about um, just making sure that, that every day we have a right to ask the government anything we want on behalf of you and you and your and listeners and readers we get two opportunities at 11 o'clock um, and 3.45, yeah. and they have to answer. If they can't answer, they get an answer back. So it's yeah. not a secret thing. Uh, the rules are out there, they're published. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's lobby because it's, it's named after the House of Commons lobby and where MPs hang around um, during debates. And I go down there and, and have, a, have a chat, and that's lobby terms. It's, just, it's, a, it's a name of political, political journalism. But it's, and I, my role as chairman is to chair the afternoon meeting with the Prime Minister's official spokesman, make sure it goes okay, and make sure we have we have huddles in the press gallery after big statements, and make sure we're getting the access we need. Um, no, it's good. It's important. It's I can so see it's completely a democratic function. It's uh, and any ideas or questions from any of your listeners, email me, uh, Christopher Hope at Telegraph.co.uk. I will ask your question and email back. There we are. Oh a wow! Service. My word, a direct line right here, right now on Matt Ford's <laughs> podcast. Well, that is very cool. I think people should take you up on that, yeah, and I hope they please. do. Um, so then, in terms, do, does the Prime Minister's official spokesman do Downing Street um, try and 
sweeten you up a bit? Do they say, Christopher, you're such a good chair? You know, the Prime Minister really appreciates not the way really. you're doing Not really. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I, so I work for Telegraph, interestingly, and we are the yeah. one paper that's holding out against her deal. Yes. So we are not, not flavour of the month most of the time. Well, the way they try and get round you and sweeten news, but it's always happened, is they give you early advance news on something happening tomorrow on a no approach basis okay so you can't go to anyone to get reaction to push back against it so you have to so it's a bit of a trade-off you get the story but only on the day two can you push back against it um so that's that's a common way a common way of trying to get an announcement out there without pushing back i say that that's normally but that's um i'll call that in peacetime because we're now in wartime (laughs) where we are Every single day, our page one splash story is about Brexit, and it, it is such a kind of amorphous blob, just suffocating the life out of everything that I do. It's like being stuck in a lift all the time with the same music, and you start off with you look kind of now that's Lady in Red, I like that song, but then every single day it restarts <laughs> like a like you know Groundhog Day or something, and yes. you kind of hit the radio and nothing happens. Sonny and Cher, come on, I think in Groundhog Day. Now yeah. put your little hand yeah. in Yes, mouth. yes, I've got you, babe. I mean, that, it's like that. Uh, I'm not often asking for sympathy. It's a great privilege to do it. You know, not it's, it's not like coal mining. It's not a difficult job. <laughs> it's just, you know. But is it like coal mining in the sense that uh, it won't be around in 30 years? <laughs> well, I think I won't be as a journalist, yeah. We'll be, we'll be out of a job in 30 years. Yes, but yeah, it, it will. I think, I think we'll get over this. I mean, it's like... It's like welfare reform, possibly. You know, it started decades ago and it's still going on. Yeah. And no one gets to the end of it. I mean, I think it, it, Brexit is a process and we haven't yes. really left the front door of the house that was We're called... We're still the in the house. house. We're still in the house. Um, do the, does the Prime Minister ever, do Downing Street ever try and use... Um, Patronage isn't the right word. Prestige, perhaps. Will they ever say, Christopher, come into number 10. The Prime Minister would love to talk to you one-to-one. Is that ever a tactic? It does really? happen to some colleagues, never to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry, you got the wrong person oh. in. Um, it's odd, though, because, yes, and they, in the early days they tried to explain Brexit and have um, senior pol- journalists in, but it, was, it didn't go very well because I think I'm not sure if you could take notes and it, wasn't, it was off the record and it's confusing. And what terms are we talking about? Oh, can we quote you? No, you can't. To inform your reporting. Well, what does that even mean, informing reporting? You want to report things, yes. you know, and ask questions. And I've, I've been known in my game to try and tr- get the best question you can ask someone. So, say, in the, in the 2017 election manifesto launch in Wales, that was a big moment. It was after the one on Thursday. Do you remember that when she came out with her plans? Yes. And then it was the um, dementia tax emerged over the weekend in the mail on Sunday. Nothing has changed. Well, well, I triggered that answer, you No see. way! Yeah, yeah. So I basically walked <sighs> in... So because um, I'm a printed newspaper journalist, when you get, it, was, it was in Wrexham, the Welsh Tory manifesto launch, we walked in, the standard had dropped about 11 o'clock and they'd hinted there's going to be a U-turn and then she walks in, the PM, announces her plans and plans for Wales. Then there's questions and you always go to Laura Kay from BBC yeah. First, Faisal from Sky, <laughs> Michael Crick said, are you weep and, weak and wobbly, not strong and stable? That was that moment. And then it was um, some person from ITV News, then someone else. And that was the sixth question. And when you're the sixth question in a press conference, you often think, because all the TV guys ask the same question, because they're all making the same package for their, their programme. They're all reporting the same news, and they have to ask the same question to get on yeah. telly, obviously, right? As a printed journalist, you think, well, how can I use my question to get a bit more out of the PM? So you might say, well, fox hunting, Prime Minister. You might say, hey, why don't I cut taxes for our readers' yeah. income tax? But she's getting really cross. I can see you getting cross. So I said, you know, Prime Minister, um, today, you know, it's May, whatever it was. Um, the election is on June the 7th. You know, what else will change in your manifesto between now and then? And she looked at me and said, nothing has changed. Wow. Nothing. And this mad look in her eyes when she lost her rag. And I think that was a, my attempt at contributing a bit to history. Because I think that moment of her making out that U-turn in the manifesto, ripping up even a few paragraphs of the manifesto was a disaster. And that 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 moment really did for her, I think, in that election slightly. No, not 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 entirely. But and it's become a bit of a meme. You know, yes, Jeremy Corbyn nothing has changed. Used it at Prime Minister's Question Time just a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's become words to yeah. to put back into her mouth. Well, the trick is to use use questions. I think to just to to elucidate uh, a policy. So, say with UKIP, I went to the UKIP manifesto launch. 
in um, when uh, um, Paul Nuttall was leader. Yes. In 2017. Oh, and they came out, they were, they were just moving towards their very unpleasant anti-Muslim policies yeah. now, which, which means they're upon, beyond the pale for mainstream press now. Even for Nigel Farage. Well, yes, but whether it's gone now is, is completely appalling. But at that point, um, they had brought into their manifesto a ban on, on face veils in public, which is, exists in some... Full face coverings. Full face coverings. So I sat there, and, and we were thinking, how can you... Look, look, looking through the manifesto, how can you like, just take, take, take the piss out of these people and illustrate what they're saying without saying it and my mum's my mum's a beekeeper right? <laughs> yeah. so I said if my mum goes out on the streets of Liverpool where she lives in a, in, in a mask is she going to be arrested and they said no no beekeepers are fine okay they're fine and then the time said what about a bride you know Bride's with a fail what should be tasered by police yeah, yeah. and you know what about big sunglasses and so we, <clears throat> the way you the way you you take the make up you, you, you just, just chip away at their credibility with questions oh, and that's brilliant. what you can do as a journalist it's a great honour <clears throat> but it must be so cool to get a moment like that when she said nothing has changed I mean obviously it's yeah. in the moment did you think I've caught a bit of a fish here I've just had a moment or was it only in retrospect it, it was how it looked on TV because yeah. she just but both her arms were either side, just looking. I think it was, in that situation, it was the sixth question on the same issue. So normally she gets let off by that point because they want the same answer. It was clearly getting under her skin what was going on. And, um, and it just became this kind of moment at which she was saying something when it's clearly the other thing was the case and just treating readers, voters like idiots and got, and got punished at the polls. Well, it was. I, I never realised that was your question. That's so cool. Um, in terms of the lobby and who can join it, then there, there have been some new uh, additions recently. People like Evolve Politics have been able to get a lobby pass, oh, right. things like that. Um, would I be able to? This is a political <laughs> podcast. Would I qualify for being able to get a press or a lobby pass? You can apply. I mean, um, I. It's a slight mystery on who controls the pass. It's done. Okay. done with the House of Commons security people. Have to vet you fully, though, Matt. All of your all your history will oh, come out. I'm I, mean, I don't want to go there on this podcast. I have a very bland history. A bland so. history. But then, I mean, um, you'd have to prove that you are. You need to be in the House of Commons. You need to be reporting it. Yes. You know, you are fully reporting all the time. So you'd have to have a, you know make out you want to have a desk there, and you'd need yeah. to be present in the House of Commons to report on it. Great. Great. Yeah, I mean, but, you can apply. I, I mean, mean yeah, apply. Can I, can I have? A, can I, I could put a reference from the chair. Could yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a reference. Yeah, I'd certainly refer you. No, no, I would definitely be a reference. No, I'll be a reference. Of course, because I, mean, I suppose uh, 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 there are there are um, platforms that have podcasts. Like you, you know, you work for the Telegraph and you've got a podcast, but this only exists as a podcast. But it's a weekly political show interviewing people like yourself, political journalists, yep. politicians, advisors. I mean, it's it's it why would you need us. the pass to be able to? That's a very good question. Uh, and I, I want to answer it fully. Um, <laughs> I uh, well, access to uh, politicians to to improve the quality of the reporting. Um, this podcast, your understanding of politics, absolutely to my understanding of politics. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> secondly, uh, um, access to uh, you know information, um, which will help promote the work that politics and politicians do. And uh, this show really exists not just as a way of holding politicians to account, but as a platform for politicians. Yes. Uh, and any way that can enhance the standing of the parliamentary state, uh, the House of Commons, and indeed the institutions yes. of this great country. Um, this sounds great. Uh, yeah. You're making, so they, who's making notes? <laughs> you're no making notes. No, no. No, Daisy's writing down um, what she wants for lunch. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> it's on tape. <laughs> it's on tape. <laughs> So that sort of thing would would go down well, would it, with the with the powers that be? I think, yeah, it's, it's, you've got a chance, Matt. You've got a chance. I mean, it, it's moving. There was a while when it was only just newspapers or TV, yeah. and then internet websites are getting in there, and yeah. I can't see why not. I mean, you just have to make a case for why you need it. And how um, does it cost anything? No, I think getting a pass is free. Actually, um, you need to be a reputable uh, organisation, which the, your podcast clearly is. Absolutely. I can see it here. In, in, <laughs> and um, no, I mean you can get a desk in the House of Commons Press Gallery, and you pay a rent for that to the authorities. Yeah. Um, How much is that? I don't know. It's a few hundred quid a year. Okay, not, not, not a lot. Bad. That's not too bad. You might get a phone for that. Oh, great! Um, God, it's like the seventy. It feels like a like a <laughs> yeah. Sounds yep. quite great fun. Yeah. But also very important work is the main thing. Very important stress. work, I know. We're just a bit sick of it. We've been there for so long at the moment. It's long, long, you know, annoying, isn't it, being hanging around with Brexit. We can't discuss so much else that's so important about, about, about Britain at the moment. Yes, Policing, that's so health, true. Well, welfare reform, education, defence, all this stuff. As a journalist, you see, you're, um, you're, you're like, if you imagine a sports 
section of the paper. You're covering, you're like a chief sports reporter covering everything, a bit of bit of cricket, a bit of football, a bit of basketball, a bit of Olympics. And you can become a general, generalist, but we have just been doing one story for months, like just doing, just doing cricket all the time. And it's just exhausting. And it's never changing. Result never happened. <laughs> it's like a sort of 90-day test match. <laughs> Sounds like heaven for a lot of people. Well, yeah, yeah it is. Actually, it is heaven for some people. But it's getting a bit wearing now it's Easter. Um, well, then let's talk about something else. It's the 10th anniversary of a major... Uh, event in British politics that you were very, very close to. The yes. 10th anniversary of the parliamentary expenses scandal, going way back to 2009. So right. Is it 10 days to the date? It's May the 9th. Oh, so we're coming up we're to a, it. We're a month away. This is perfectly timed, actually. Perfectly great, timed. great. So, um, firstly, so oh, it was the Telegraph that, that famously yes, wrote the story. Yes, it was. Um, the story it, had been offered to others. It had been, and it wasn't necessarily going to go to us. I mean... The, the history of this was there's a Freedom of Information Act put in for sample MP expenses by Heather Brook, this rather amazing American journalist and other two other journalists too, had put in for a sample number. And this went through the, the Information Commissioner ruled this was in order. Um, and then it was fought through the House of Commons. Norman Baker, a rather heroic Lib Dem MP, made sure it didn't get through. And eventually it came to pass that the House of Commons had agreed to release expenses claims by MPs going back over a five-year period. Yeah. But to, to deal with that, the authorities had agreed to redact key information in these these expenses claims. Yes, and it was during during that, I think, um, as we as it later came to pass, that there was people who were doing this got so concerned about what they were seeing that somehow the entire disk was leaked. <gasps> One point two million PDF documents, essentially photographs of documents, on a on a disk about the size of, of my iPhone seven mobile phone. Um, and back in the day, about 10 years ago, you couldn't believe that my, my information was on there. Yeah. Um, it was red because I, I happened to hold it yesterday for the first time in my life. And it's quite exciting because <laughs> it sits in a safe at the office. <laughs> um, but it was there and it was looked at. And, and my goodness, um, uh, and it had been offered to other newspapers, other papers. Um, the person who was leaking it um, had offered uh, uh, a sample um, uh, evidence to to other papers and, and yeah. that some some of them had rather than wait for the whole thing had just written stories about Jackie Smith and her husband and a yes. claim for, for um, a phone bill which had a, a, a porn film at the end of it and she was home secretary at the time and that was bad enough yeah but that was really just the literal the tip of the iceberg of the whole thing um, the Times newspaper were offered offered it and they wrote a piece on page one how they were offered to pay three hundred thousand pounds for the disc. But we, we, we took the matter no further. That was the Times. Then my colleague, Rosa Prince, who now is living in, in, in New York and is Jeremy Corbyn's biographer. That's right, I've read the book, Comrade Great Corbyn. Book. Yes, right. Um, she was working a Sunday shift in our little office, the 15 by 15 foot by 10 foot telegraph office, and the phone rang. And this voice said, I've got a computer disk that contains the details of every MP claim going back for years. Would you be interested? Rosa said... <laughs> Yeah, I think we might be interested in that. Um, she put the phone down and then called my colleague Rob Winnett, um, who's now the deputy editor of the paper, and said, "I think you know we may have, we may have a live one here, or sort of worse that effects." And, and, um, and, the and middle, so it came to pass. And the middleman in all this is a, is an ex SAS guy, yeah, called John Wick. I mean, how does he get involved in all this? Well, no, I've only read about this because. Um, I was kept away. I was part of the team delivering the story and going through the files. I had no idea how this happened. Um, he, appe- um, he appeared to receive the information from someone else, and then it, and then it, it came to us via a third party, uh, a PR person. So right. I, I, I don't actually know how it got to him. So if, I can't help you on that. I don't mind not knowing actually. No. And does anyone know the identity of the person who leaked it? I. No, I don't think so. I I don't. He's not named in, in the book No Expenses Spared, which is the, which I w- would recommend anyone to read. A really a rip roaring tale of how to <laughs> reveal the scoop of the century. I can recommend that book, but I, I don't know uh, who it was or how it how it got to us that way. So this is uh, No Expenses Spared, is the book that, that you've kindly brought in. I've just ordered um, yes. just before we start recording by Robert Winnett and Gordon Rayner, the inside scoop which changed the face of British politics by the team that broke it. So uh, ten years ago. You were at the Telegraph. What was your role then? I was called the Whitehall editor. So okay. I was um, I was working um, in the in the office at the, at the Telegraph headquarters, and just um, just my I, I was I just I um, it was I was on the edge of politics. I just revealed um, details of um, 
of emails were sent by Damien McBride about uh, with this, uh, the email, red rag thing, the red rag stuff. Oh yeah. my word! So I we splashed that on that Easter, takes me Easter back. Saturday, yeah, April '09. That he was gone by the end of the day. So that was my big story. And wow. then um, the following month, uh, this happened. So I was yeah, just, and there was a team of us. Um, yeah, it was quite extraordinary. We, we were told it was a um, a training session. So. Um, the time I was living in Norfolk and I came back here, I was told to get there for half past seven. And at the, the time, the Telegraph was modernising from being just a newspaper into a website as well. And, and that was a, a big moment to get, get us to write articles online and write our headlines and get them all. You know, it's, it's a different way of reporting through the day rather than at the end of the day. So to, in order to do that, we were given lots of training. And I was told to turn up for a training session at 7, uh, 7 a.m. on that Monday morning, I think at the very end of April, before the Bank Holiday weekend, the May Bank Holiday weekend. And um, I walked in, and there was Chris Evans, who's now our editor, with, with and then head of news, with Robert Wynette. I said, right, glad you've come. We've got the MP Expenses disc. Wow. You've got nine days. Oh, man. So then it was nine days just to go through this document, um, this file, and... What what were we looking at? And it was quite difficult because you couldn't. Everyone thinks back to the duck. We'll come on to the duck house. And yes. The duck, but which was never which was never paid out. It was claimed for, but we can go into that. Yeah. But everyone thinks you could just search for duck house, yes. moat cleaning, something like that. But you couldn't because it was all essentially like photographs of pages. So you had to oh, sit so there you going. Can't type anything in. No, you had to go click, 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 look, and it's all handwritten, handwritten claims. And um, for each MP, there were three sets of claims in each financial year, going back five years. The ACA, the additional cost allowance, that was their second home claims. Yes, the IEP, yes. which is the office office expenses. Yes. And the CA, communications allowance, where they can communicate with it, with um, constituents. Yeah. And that's usually spent on newsletters, mail yes, shops, that yes. sort of thing. And, and websites. Some of the files had like 80 pages in each one. So that's 650 MPs. Oh, God. Imagine that um, each MB has four, uh, three files per year. That's five years. That's 15 files. Oh, Some God. of them are hundreds of pages long. And you don't know what you're looking for, and it could be anything. So we went through the... Um, we, we looked at it on day one. My colleague Gordon Ray and I pulled out a flip chart and said, right, what have we got here? And what we had noticed was there were... there were The idea of the, of um, expenses where you the... The money had to be supporting your work as an MP. That was the idea of it. So anything that, that didn't was questionable. Yes. Um, so, so say Matt, say you lived in in Lancashire. Yeah. You had your family home that. there. You yeah, yeah, from Lancashire, the but you had to have a have a flat in London because you're yeah. an MP. I'll settle for that. So you, all your expenses on your home in 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 Rochdale, say, yes. were yours. But any expenses in London because you had to be there for the job, yep. were paid for by the state. Okay. Okay. Wagamamas, Nando's. Yeah, all that. Yeah, food. You had a four hundred pounds, four hundred pounds a month food allowance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no receipts that required. Just send them in four hundred pounds a month. That's right. Yeah. But if they claimed during August when Parliament wasn't sitting, okay. So we came up with these these we called them not you know how they were behaving badly, and what they, well, the first thing they appeared to be doing was moving their allowance from from the house in London or wherever to their home address and then spending money there and claiming yeah. their main home was in London suddenly. Oh, and then because that again. was a bigger bill. Yeah. And we, we sat there and I was had a job in the city office covering journalism and I knew that in in the city they would you, you would flip debt from one oh, a business to the next one and back again if you were in private equity. Yes. So I said, well, let's call it flipping. So f- oh my word! So flipping. You coined the I term. invented. I'm, I am like Shakespeare. Oh my! I literally God. invented a word, Daisy. That's true. <laughs> I did. Daisy can't believe it. Oh, I, I mean the word, word flipping did exist, but it the, did. I suppose I gave as it a, a meaning. political term. Yeah, yeah. I gave meaning. So wow. flipping was our word. That's a word. So it's so we were at one flipping equals nominating, nominating one property second home, charging the taxpayer for refurbishing it, then flipping the allowance back to another home. That's so cool! And they could move there. They could they could keep trading up. You know, yeah. flip it up. Um, that was the first big, you know, idea. We had one called Property Ladder. That was when the MP renovated the property at, at our expense, taxpayers' expense, then sold it for a property, buy another property. That was your new second home. Kit it out, sell it on. Council tax, that was MPs um, claiming back the full rate of council tax on a second home at taxpayers' expense, then getting a discount from the, from the, from the local authority, but, but pocketing, pocketing the whole money. Number four, we had March Madness. That was MPs <laughs> who hadn't claimed their maximum amount each year, going bananas in March and buying stuff for their property. <laughs> they couldn't possibly fit into their small flat. 
Number five was last minute repairs. That was splashing out on renovations just before they quit Parliament. So they basically get to the end of their time as an MP and just splurge money on their property. Yeah. Number six, we had capital gains allowance or avoidance, forgive me, capital gains avoidance, where an MP would tell the taxman that their second home was their main home uh, and then sell it and then move it back because, of course, you're paid CGT on your second home sales. If yes. You know, if you know, if yeah, you know yeah. about your tax. We had number seven was wrong address claims. That was when an MP nominated a large family home as their second home, so the taxpayer could do it up. And their <sighs> little bedsit was their main home. We had a family, long distance shoppers. That was MPs buying large household goods for their second home and having it by mistake delivering to their other home. Oh man! We had number nine was maxing out. That was MPs claiming two hundred forty nine pounds for just below the threshold to avoid having put in receipts. And finally, binge eaters, number 10, that was claiming the maximum £400 a month food allowance yeah. every month, even when Parliament wasn't sitting. So that we, so we had to teach ourselves, looking at this of shiv, you know, we had, we had 10 days. We'd given some assurances to the source of this that we would stop producing stories after 10 days or else we'd take it elsewhere. So we had to work out what were the stories. We had no okay. idea who else had the information. And we had no idea if it was real. Because yeah. we all all very aware of the Hitler diaries. Yeah, yeah. When the Sunday Times published, published what were purportedly to be real Hitler diaries, the, they were um, fake. It's an obvious letter. Yeah, well, uh, yes, well, I guess some, <laughs> some time back beyond that. But yes, and we didn't know if it was a massive um, fraud on us. You know, was it a fake? And of course, everyone's out to have a punch at the Telegraph and the rest, as yeah. you might do as a, as a as a big media company. So. So and we couldn't so we couldn't approach anybody to find out if the information was correct. We had to go through it on its own terms, work out what it was, develop a narrative on the stories, and then make notes and try and plan a series of articles. So that uh, was it. So then you're you're making up your own criteria. You're spotting the patterns and going right. These are nine or ten mm. different types of uh, yeah. criteria mm. that you're then coming up with. These things obviously are you know you're having to decide yeah. how we're you... just inventing the entire book. There's yes. no and we had no idea how to run run. Uh, we called it we called it the the bunker. <laughs> and we had no idea how to run it. We had a frosted glass. It was a room of like like a, like a kind of station waiting room of just um, um we had like we were all given uh, laptops, yeah, unnetworked laptops because the concern was the of information course, would, would yeah, seep yeah. out onto the internet. The risk to it was huge. We were looking at personal bank details, mortgage statements, credit card accounts for the prime minister, leader of opposition, home addresses, yeah. letters. Um, you know, the sheer volume of personal information about really important people here was huge. And if any of that leaked onto the internet, yeah. it would just kill the story. Of course. Because it would have been um, being reckless with information. So on top of these 10 uh, categories that you then had to kind of find yourself, what was the division of labour within the team? Did people say, right, we'll do this by party? So, Chris, you take the Labour yep. MPs. Yep. Or did you do it by region? Yep. Was it by spend like how yep. did you all how were your roles defined well, we did it by mp and you're absolutely right we had a team of three of us looking at the cabinet because they're in power so you look at the who's in power yes i know with the telegraph and it's labor government in power but had it been a tory government power they'd have gone first but because it was labor yeah. we'd labor first so we looked at all the cabinet they came out on may the 9th and then over the weekend we did other mps Sinn fein mps yeah and Monday, Sunday for Monday, was was the cabinet. And then after that, we then started looking at we call them the grandees, Tory yes. MPs, claiming lots of money on huge, enormous homes. I mean, Anthony Steen was one of my favourites. Steen, Peter Vigors, f- homes far beyond, far beyond the reach of ordinary people, and what they, what what we can afford. And then. Um, and then it's moved into other areas of, um, and eventually criminality, which was, um, that was towards the end of the series. We published um, 29 days or 30 days of, of splash stories. Yeah. There was no time to wait for for the reaction. It was the next thing. And each each night we'd leave about half past eight, nine o'clock, go to the pub, put the news on and, yeah. and then just drink. Because just watch your handiwork. Well, we were, we were giving, we got journalists in for briefing. Here's our big story tomorrow. T- tip off the 10 o'clock news. ITV News, great, quite, quite extraordinary. Yeah. It was, it was extraordinary. I mean, I remember at the time. So I just finished working around uh, the Labour movement at the time. And th- there was a sense that this was firstly because Labour in government far more damaging to the government um, than than it was to the opposition. But I remember talking to Labour MPs at the time. They're like, "Well, they've basically helped Cameron out a bit. You know, he, he's been given preferential treatment." I mean, do you think you did go a bit softer on the Tories? Did he get advanced sight of stuff? No, no. I, I know that's what Peter Mandelson said at the time, and of course he would do, wouldn't he? You would try and smear the person producing the information rather than addressing the point of the story, which is 
Um, we, we know. We, I know for a fact that we published the Labour first because Labour in power. I mean, if you have a story about the PM's personal expenses, you're going to put it on page on the, on the of the of the of the series of stories on day one. I mean, there's no question. Why would you do David Cameron before the Prime Minister? Well, indeed. How, I, well, I when, wonder, when he was in the leader of opposition, I of mean. course, yeah. I wonder if, and maybe it's just, just too much information to kind of think about it in this way, but were there any defining characteristics of the worst offenders? Did Was there anything generational? Was there anything geographical? Was there anything in their background? Were well, they yeah, more yeah. likely to be older men? I mean, I suppose yeah. that was just the complexion of you Parliament to, at the time. It's important to think back to why this happened. In the past, uh, I think under, under Margaret Thatcher, they they had agreed with MPs to to keep their salaries down because that was a bad look for, yep. for hard pressed taxpayers and increase their that's their um, their um, expenses. So it was slightly on the nod and the wink. That's okay. That's okay. The fees office. I, my my impression a, of when working for MPs around that time was that the fees office. We almost encouraged MPs to claim because that was a way round. We, we got the to know wages. we got to know them quite well because we we were looking at this ding dong between MPs saying can I have that the fees office saying no yeah and they, this is this is the group of officials in Parliament who were told to approve or not approve and vet these claims and checking they're okay and they were in a really invidious situation I think because they were officials who are paid for to work there by parliament and guess who runs parliament <laughs> mps so essentially it's like your yeah. boss coming to you with a with a claim saying is that okay and you're going well not really but you know you're the boss i mean it's very difficult and yes. some were heroically trying to push back others weren't and some of the mps started pulling rank and being really hard on them and you can see these in handwritten notes this ding dong of can i get that through what go through how about this how about that why do I have to put receipts in? You know, do you know who I am? You know, very difficult. So, we, and we never named any of the officials in the fees office ever in any of the articles. But we we took a view that they were just doing their best. They're not public people. They've got jobs. Yes. And it's a difficult position for them to be in. We named all the politicians, of course, but not not them. And and I think um, there was a, a thing called it emerged during the FOI hearings when it was when they were trying to get the information released and Heather Brooks work again. There was a list called the John Lewis list, yes. uh, which, which really set hairs running, and that 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 purported to have, you know, what's a reasonable thing to have, and they used John Lewis as this kind of <laughs> never lonely undersold list of things you you're allowed to claim yeah. for. One of the big things we were looking for, a rumor which we never found, was the fabled sauna. So there was a rumour before the disc came out that was the MP had claimed for a sauna, wow, or a wet room, and <laughs> we never found it. Oh, it we could is, be out there now. Someone it, listening that, might well, there know. Could be a, there could be a taxpayer-funded sauna somewhere in Britain. And we don't know where it is. We should all have access to it. Yeah. We paid for it. Yeah, that's, how, that's the people's sauna. It's the people's sauna. <laughs> <laughs> if you do know, if this rings any bell, do get in touch. Politicalpartypodcast.gmail.com yeah. you, you may have bought com. a house off an MP that's got a bizarre sauna <laughs> in, the, in, in one of the rooms. It doesn't really fit. Well, you know what? Before we come on to this amazing guy that you brought in from the from the, from the from the, from the time, as in the time, uh, yeah. not, not the newspaper. That was the uh, supplement we published at the end called The Complete Expenses Files. Which we should leave through for individuals in a second. Um... If you had to, I suppose it was what I was trying to get at, what would the average... So, I mean, there's a whole range of expenses. Yeah, so it's... It, the worst offenders, did they have any characteristics? I think I think you can say it started with... Um, cause, because you had to put in, um, receipts in for your food. It started off with, you know, Austin Mitchell or whoever it was claiming for ginger crinkle biscuits, 59p, you know. Yeah. Or and then you had MPs putting in just, just family shopping lists. So you had male MPs claiming for tampons. And don't forget, this money uh, is meant to support their work as MPs. Yes. So why is an MP claiming for tampons to support their work as MPs? Yeah, what or was nappies? Good, what was a good defence to that be? Well, I employ my wife, yeah. and <laughs> she requires them. Yes, and, uh, yes. But it's her. I mean, that would be on the office expenses, you see, not yes. on personal okay. living. You see, So you see where it went wrong quite yes. quickly for them. And um, they were doing their best. They started off, I, I suppose you'd have MPs who, who were on less well-off would claim for everything they could. Yes. And that may be more likely to be Labour MP than Tory okay, MP. that's interesting. Maybe, but yeah, what, yeah. you do have Tory MPs from more humble backgrounds as well. And then, of course, that moved on to, you know, you had these MPs in, in big homes claiming for, you know, literally piles of shit. Um, <laughs> David, <laughs> David Heskett-Emery. Brilliant. David Heskett-Emery claimed £388 for sacks of horse manure. Yeah, I remember that. Um, you know, Michael Goh for Shinon... Um, he claimed money from for elephant lamps, hundred thirty four pounds. Elephant lamps, yeah, from Ochre, Ochre, which um, guess who owned Ochre? David Cameron's oh. mother in law. 
Oh my god! Yeah. So you know, taxpayers' money going to a shop owned by Cameron's mother-in-law didn't look great, did it? Um, and then of course we had Cameron, six hundred eighty pounds wisteria, wisteria from a chimney. Gordon Brown's um, was a cleaning bill, was it, or something? And his yeah, brother, that was. Contra- his brother was kind of involved. There was nothing wrong here. I've got to say from the very yeah. outset on that because it was wasn't clear. We didn't know why he paid his brother to pay his cleaner, and it was obviously yeah. an arrangement that it just looked. It didn't know what it meant, and we had to. That was our page one story we started. Um, we did clarify there's nothing wrong here, and there was nothing yeah. wrong there. But it just, it was just, you know, you're basically looking. It's like rifling through a stranger's pants drawer. Yeah. Oh, really? You know, and looking at stuff. And, and you can't... What does that mean? The big yeah. concern we had was, um, God, is, is it all true? And we didn't know until the Thursday, the 8th of May, I think it was, but the day before publication, we sent out emails to the entire cabinet. My colleague Rob Winnett did that. Um, with a question saying, saying with a set form of words, we have these, this information, here are some eight questions, please can you answer them? Yeah. And about 2.34 on the Thursday, Jack Straw came back within the hour saying, it was a thing about uh, some kind of council tax mix-up. Yes, I can confirm that happened, I paid the money back. You know? yeah. And, it's, it's, and that, that phone call from Jack Straw, we knew we were on because the information was correct. Yes, yes, yes. So we were away. Wow. And so then we all went, we did, then we splashed the paper on with the... With the um, the, the, the truth about the cabinet expenses or something, and then the night before, the night as, we, as I was then busy working on the weekend stuff about the about the Conservatives. So one group does the, the next day's paper, the next group does the following day's paper, and so it moved on. But we were given um, uh, business cards of a lawyer because because what the information had been stolen or uh, removed from Parliament, um, it was unclear whether this was handling stolen goods, and so we were given lawyers' numbers. So if you're arrested in the morning, ring this number. <laughs> It's literally true. And was there was there any fear of arrest? I didn't know. I mean, we're so we're so in the zone. We had like ten days in twelve hour 12, twelve days of working through the bank holiday weekend, working on this information, trying to make it work, trying to make it sing, working it out. What a thrill, Cro- though! Cross checking with land registry documents. You know, you know what's it all mean? Trying to make a, a, a story behind what we were seeing. Yeah, and we didn't know if it is true. You know, we and we didn't know if it would leak out. We didn't know if other papers would go before us if they had. We didn't. We weren't clear what other papers had because other papers had sample uh, expenses, as discussed yeah. earlier, and whether they published their stuff earlier, and and we would it hold for us, and you know, just just. Uh, I can urge you to read the book because it is so exciting. I've just, as I said, I've just ordered it, yeah. so I can't wait to, yeah. to to read. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, when it all kicked off and then, you know, this, this it unleashes a wave of uh, public reaction, mm. um, uh, of, uh, of public anger and outrage and distrust and everything else. Were there any cases, individual cases, where you felt guilty? Did people ever get in touch with you and say, look, that money was for like a sick relative or I claim that because I had this? And you've, you've we, got we, tr- we tried to take door. views through the stories about whether that was appropriate and weigh it up. Um, and we had, I mean... There were some some complaints. I think they're all dealt with at the time. Um, um, I can't remember all the, the details, but we, we were going through so many so quickly. Um, and we, what we were trying to do was, um, and I knew a lot of the MPs personally, and we have to phone them up. I remember phoning one up, and she went, "Hi, it's Chris Hope Telegraph." She went, <gasps> "Because they're all there's oh, a real no. siege mentality. They weren't sure." Who's going to be get yes. approached next? Because we had all the information, and we were trying to go through it all as quickly as possible. Part of the thing was, uh, how long do we do it for? 
but about the, the, the following, yeah. So, so you, you, yeah, you, you'd approach them, and, and someone would say, "Oh, I'll give you a ring about that." No, no, please reply by email because we're doing, treating all the MPs the same way. Just reply by email. We'll then publish it with your defence and move on. You know, it was, yeah. like, it was a kind of just tearing through Parliament. You know, like the Spanish Inquisition. And did any of them beg you? Did they say, "Chris, please"? Just don't. Some did, yeah. I mean, and I just had to be really clear. Some were on the way to meet to see people who were ill, and and it was you sat. You had to be really fair with them all, all them, all of them, really. And that was the, the best we did. The following, the big concern we had was public interest defence for this information. So yes, and then it, the following week, about the Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, the Met Police Chief, whose name I forget, was giving evidence to um, the Home Affairs Select Committee. And he was asked what he felt of it. And he said, well, I think there's no criminality. It's a clear public interest. And that we all calmed down and wow. relaxed. The next thing was, what this, what would the Parliament do? Because their information. And we, the concern was they might raid us yeah. at any point to try and find the source to get the information away from us. Because, you know, the Parliament is, is a, you know, one of the big things of state, you know, and it could easily have put pressure on us. Um, and then Speaker Martin, Michael Martin, wasn't really defending it very well. and um, And then... MPs made it clear he had to stand down. Then he, when he resigned, that was a real moment. Yeah, um, I was on the on the back of the guide you've got there. All these Matt cartoons. One, one of my favourite cartoons is two M- by Matt, our cartoonist. Yeah, is two MPs walking outside the House of Parliament, and one saying to the other, "As soon as I saw my expenses." I knew the speaker had to resign. <laughs> Entirely summarised yeah, right, the yeah. entire thing, you know. Um, and then they started paying money back. So we had uh, people waving checks. Hazel Blairs. Hazel Blairs with a check for... That was one of the... That was 15 grand. Capital gains tax not paid on, on a property. A few grand. I remember I thought that was really bad. And I really liked Hazel. I thought that was kind of the wrong way to handle it. I, thought I think waving she's a, a big decent check. person trying to Absolutely. do something, isn't she? But I just thought, pay it, but don't wave a check. You know. I started writing on the board, like 30 grand paid back today, 40 grand. And for me, as a journalist, that really meant made that it was doing some good. Yes. Because we, we clawed back and maybe out a million quid, I think, from MPs to the taxpayer. MPs started standing down. Yes. So on the on the wall above them we put pictures of, of them as they quit with, with crosses through like so hunting trophies and yeah. we felt we <laughs> help, felt we were helping cleaning politics yes. out. They, they did feel like that. And then there was a famous BBC question time session on the following Thursday that was all about all about MP expenses. And that was a so yeah, it was. It felt like a it felt like a real cathartic moment. It, the timing of it was interesting. It followed after the the financial crash. I think pe- people's certainty about structures in the country were, was being shaken well, by it. that on bankers. And this was MPs. You know, the big the big also concern was that the way they were trying to get around the rules or get more stuff from them. And these are the MPs, the lawmakers who set the rules, set the tax laws that we have to follow all the time. And then they were just trying to sort of get more money out of the state. And it just seemed like a real double double standard. It's interesting. I'm now leafing through this complete expenses files. It falls open on a page and it's got Dawn Butler, a very right. left-wing Labour MP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, overclaimed £2,600 in rent on a designated second home in London in 2005. So she had a second home in London. Shortly afterwards, bought a constituency home in Wembley, she described as near derelicts, and carried out extensive renovations, financed by the second home allowance, including money for a whirlpool bath, which is basically a, a jacuzzi. That's incredible. Well, I don't have to say, I didn't cover Dawn Butler's expenses, but um, there are so many in there, and we, that we, wow. we was trying to... What we, what we weren't sure about was how long to run the story for. We thought it might get a week's worth out of it. But just she, the sheer uh, volume of information which kept going um the duck house is one as you know um the, the, on the front page of that guide you've got yes. a picture of a duck sir peter vigors yeah that's my colleague uh, nick allen i remember vividly being in this um in the bunker and we'd sit there and we try to keep the you know the momentum and we go oh look oh, look at this we're all going oh look at that and we'd look at these these expenses and he said come look at the come and look at this and he'd seen <laughs> a, a claim uh, on peter vigors and peter vigors is not a well-known mp i mean often you know you want to know forecast he'd, he'd become a kind of symbolic of this whole yeah. thing um he, he found um, a 1645 pound five foot high pond feature and someone wrote next to it not allowable um <laughs> and this is uh, I, this is an, an 85 100 page uh, expenses claim for one of the financial years and he scrolled through and then he found this thing it's called called a Stockholm floating duck house <laughs> which he claimed 
And because it was the early days of Google Earth, Google Earth and Google Maps, yes, we had his home address. So we 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 looked at it on on Google Earth and we zoomed in. Yeah, there it is. And there it was <laughs> in a pond. And I said, "You can see it in space." <laughs> that, that became one of the oh. moments of the of the, wow. of the scandal. Yeah. I mean, it's the most notorious one on the front page is uh, Elliot Morley, the MP who claimed for sixteen grand from mortgages that did not exist. Elliot Morley, one of a few, including uh, Jim Devine. I think David Chater did time as well to, to actually yeah. be convicted and, and be yeah. incarcerated. Yeah. Um, was at that point did you think uh, well well good? I'm glad they're serving time. Or was there part of you that thought, oh crikey, maybe well that, we that need all, to clean it up, but maybe this has gone. It all bit happened. Too far. It all happened later. I mean, uh, you know, I felt I felt sorry for these people. I think that they were, um, you know, they were just they were told to claim expenses. It, it, apparently. Um, as a way of keeping salaries down, and some went a bit, some went a bit, a bit far. Obviously, I think yeah, they they are not these. You know, I felt sorry for them. I got to say, it was a strange time. I remember being in uh, Strangers Bar the night that it broke for the first. Were bit. you? And I was with three or four Labour MPs that I knew well, and the atmosphere was incre- like heavy. They knew it was coming then. Yeah, so the story just broke, and maybe it had broken the day before or that night, but it, it was literally just happening around us. I remember they were just going, I've got no idea whether I'm going to... One of them was going to bought a Hoover, and I can't remember whether I put it on expenses or not. Because that was what was interesting about it, was obviously there's the, the duck house, which wasn't claimed, or, you know, the things they were trying to claim for, I suppose, is, is bad enough, really. Yeah. Um, it's the big stuff, but also what drives people mad, it's the really, really small stuff, a Kit Kat. A yeah. pasty, you know, you go, why are you yeah. claiming for that? Oh, well, I, I, I was trying to explain earlier, that's because you can claim £400 a month, or then claim £400 a month, support your your food needs yes. as an MP, £100 a week. And to do that, you just put in expenses claims. <clears throat> you put in receipts. And on the receipts was Kit Kat 44p. <laughs> so we could say... You know, I mean, it's it's true, but they were doing it because that was the, that was the nature of the claim, you see. And, and they needed to live... So this, so it, it's essentially we're funding their. They are actually li- all their living, you know, what they need to live in London, and that include Kit Kats. <laughs> it's such a it, looking back on the impact of it now. I mean, it was a, it was an earthquake at the time. I wonder if because everyone always says, you know, trusting politicians never been so low, but that's true of every generation. Yeah, and whether it's um, Iraq for some people. Or, you know, I think for my generation, it would be something early, you know, poll tax or the way the minor strokes handled, depending on what your politics are. You know, there are these things that shake your belief in democracy or, or the, the, um, the the intent or otherwise of a government. MPs' expenses probably is something you could definitely say had a profound effect and still does on the way that the public perceived politicians. Yes, they didn't trust them anyway, but either this still eroded trust further... Or it changed the tone of it. It was it was a sense that maybe people thought they were on the take a bit, but having it confirmed in all its gory detail really did change the way that people still think about them. I think it did. I think it, it did. Um, it created a more honest politics. I think. Yes. I mean, if you just look at if you look at straightforwardly at what they're paid and the expenses claims, I looked back at this in twenty seven oh eight. They were allowed to claim twenty three thousand pounds for second home allowances, and they were paid sixty four thousand pounds a year. Yeah. In twenty eighteen nineteen, they're paid twenty two thousand pounds for their second home expenses. Yeah. That's about what a thousand pounds less. But they're paid seventy nine thousand pounds a year. Yes. They're paid fifteen thousand pounds more. And I think you can say it must made them come clean about what what are we paying our MPs yeah. on just a money money basis. So it made that the salary has gone up by quite a lot of you know twenty twenty five percent, thirty percent. And their second home allowances have stayed as they are. So there's creating an honesty about how we fund our politics has made it cheaper, but an honesty definitely. It did lead to a lot of MPs who may have clung on for another another five years to leave and just go, oh, not not worth the candle in 2010. Yeah, it's made MPs I think more responsive to recognise that this is taxpayers' money. You know, it's not their money; it's taxpayers' money, and the, the degree of entitlement around them left. Yes. Um, you know, have they learnt a lesson? I'm not sure we're seeing it with, with the. If we go back to the beginning on Brexit, I think we're seeing MPs who are trying to frustrate Brexit by using excuses such as a second vote, confirmatory referendum, um, delaying Brexit. These are ways not to deliver on the result, whether you like it or not. I mean, they had given 
a chance for people to, to to take a choice about this country's future in or outside the EU. The vote happened. They are not doing it three years on. That's the one thing Theresa May gets right is this idea of a mandate not being delivered. Um, and I think so. I think they they haven't learned less in the sen- sense that. Uh, um, they've stopped allowing us to know who's being investigated by common standards authorities um, since so the summer. So some old habits are creeping back in. Well, I think, yeah, some of the secrecy is coming back in. The secrecy, um, they, they publish regular updates of information um, on the, the 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 IPSA website. So the result of all this, the the the, um, the way expenses were controlled was taken out of the parliament and given to an authority called IPSA, yes. the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, Um and then they publish quarterly updates of claims and who's doing what and, and that kind of thing. But it, it's quite opaque to go through. It's all on spreadsheets. You can't see actual receipts. You can't see the language of, what, of what's being said, or, you know, all that kind of thing. So I think it's, you know, I think gradually they've learned the lesson. Sunlight is the best the best um, disinfectant, as, as, as David Cameron said. Yeah. And he certainly gripped the scandal at the time because he, he was able to being in, being in opposition, yes. I think, in a way that Gordon Brown didn't. Um, I think it's just it's it's, it's made a kind of um, yeah I, I think it's created a different kind of politician. Um, one I think you know Twitter has made them be more aware of, of what people think. Oh, There's more more direct ways into politicians than there were in the old days. Um, has it created a more um, less experienced politician to, who can't cope with Brexit? I never know about that. I mean, I look around. As you get older, I'm in my late forties. You look very good on it. Well, the police get you. Do too. Uh, but the, but I'm in my mid thirties. Oh, sorry. Oh God, I thought you were fifty. Um, um, the, I'm um, good on fifty, but I'm thirty-six. Yeah. Um, the police are younger, aren't they? And the politicians are, y- are younger. And I wonder whether that familiarity breeds a bit of contempt about the whole thing. But I, d- I don't know. Mm. I, I'm never quite clear whether. It's as you get older, you just have a view about people who look up, look younger than you, or whether we have got a different kind of politician now who is. Who is the you know the old the grand old men and women not really there anymore? Are they no, I think it's in Parliament. It's good to have a mix of everyone, so gender, race, sexuality, age. Mm. I always think for leadership, I would always want someone who's not too young. I'd want a bit of experience. I'd want someone who'd had a cabinet role during a recession or something like that. Yeah. You know, I just think I'd rather yeah. have someone who's who's been in these waters before in some way. Average age of the past four, five Tory leaders is forty eight. Wow. Average age. See, that's not too bad. That's not ludicrously young. That's not a 20 year. He's not pitted no. younger, you know. Yeah. He was even younger than that. Um, so it's interesting that you've had such a profound effect on politics, overall in a very, very positive way. Mm. And it's not, in a way, the negatives aren't in your control. You know, it's not your fault that Ips are behaving the way they are or that politicians yeah. are, are, are always going to look for that secrecy, which they will. Um, I, I should say the reason why that exists, that secrecy, is yes. because. Um, they're allowing staff to complain about MPs uh, on bullying and sexual sexual yes. de- issues within offices. So if you if you then name the MP, because there's only a small number of people working in each office, you could easily identify the person complaining. So that's why. Okay. So this. So I get the reason why. Not always bad. But I get why they're doing it. Yeah. I think they should have different levels of it. So obviously, in anything to do with bullying or sexual yeah. issues, do not name the MP. Yeah. But other things do name the MP. As it is, it's a blanket across the whole thing, and that's what is a problem. What's interesting? I remember at the time, David Cameron said that the next big scandal was going to be lobbying. Yes. And then it. It kind of wasn't, either because the information isn't there or because our lobbying culture in Britain what, isn't the same what, as the way it what is. It, what is a lobbyist? Well, that's the problem. That's the problem. Is that so many people, you know, basically anyone who tweets is a lobbyist yeah. in the sense that you're trying well, to law change. Fir- law firms. Yes. The, one of the big ways, I think, getting around that thing is you don't, these bespoke shops, that they call them shops in a the game, these bespoke lobbying firms. Yeah. Um, are, yes, they are now registered, and yes, they have declared meetings in some quarters. But what about law firms? Yeah, they have a lobbying arm. What about big corporate companies? Yeah. They have a lobbying arm. What charities. is lobbying? Yeah. Charities, the NHS charities, lobbies, charities. Yeah, exactly. I think um, it's very tricky. I mean, there was Bell Pottinger, which kind of got its fingers burnt. I remember that, but there wasn't a kind of widespread no clean up or indeed expose because maybe it's hard to find and, and it's all very informal in Britain that's part of the problem yeah and we, we do get meetings uh, given to us and when they're meeting but it's you know you got to put one of my other, other big ones um, was you uh, forget the the, um, the, the uh, phone hacking scandal and Rice the horse do you remember this the horse 
the police no. horse that uh, Rebecca Books rode with um, with David Cameron. Yes. Yeah, I forced him to remit that. Wow. Over up four days of lobbying question of questions in the the lobby meeting. So what what I was, what I was going to use the, uh, the the lobbying question really to, to catapult into this, which is what is the next big scandal? Is it is it second jobs? Do you think that never seems to have got. The spotlight that it, it, it but that's all that, that is disclosed in the MPs um, uh, in their registered members' interests. Yes, but as a focus, you know, I suppose it's disclosed, but it's not yeah. focused on. M- my big issue is how hard it is to see your MP. Okay, so access, access. So maybe that is around lobbying. Well, maybe. in the code of conduct that they they published at the start of this parliamentary term. There's no way for a uh, member of the public <clears throat> to hold your MP to account for behaviour during the five years. <clears throat> oh, well, there's the recall. Recall, but I mean, that, that, that has to be for very serious issues like jail yeah. or criminality. But if you just got the, get an MP who, who doesn't really make, make much attempt to, to see his constituents or her constituents, yeah. then it's very hard to complain to anybody about the service you're getting from your MP. And, and I think probably, that's, that's bad. And it's probably very hard to prove they're not seeing other constituents. Yeah, They're just, not seeing you, but their office could say, look, they're just really busy. Well, or they can say, you know, how often are you seeing constituents? I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing on Fridays? What are MPs doing today? It's Friday. I'm working. What are they doing? The good ones, and I worked for many of them, are in the constituent. I can reassure you that many of the good ones that I worked for, all bar one. And how, um, how do they communicate their goodness? Well, in terms of Being what I mean busy is... on Twitter, showing pictures of themselves opening fates or something. Oh, no, what I meant was genuine constituency case work, work. Case Absolutely work. Absolutely casework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the good ones that I worked for were uh, exhausted over the weekend. And they would use Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I think there's about 200 MPs in Parliament yeah. who I probably wouldn't recognise. I mean, they're hard to... They, 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 keep, they keep themselves down. They, you know, unless you're watching Parliament all the time, you won't know who they are. Yeah. And they're very happy to stay well away from the press. Just carrying on. I mean, what are they doing? God knows. Well, maybe that is the next. Right in. Email us in. I will look at this. It's suggested that perhaps there might be a kind of conspiracy behind that. I don't know. I, th- I think that, you know. I parliament have, within a parliament. A secret should, society. We're paying our salaries. We should be making sure that they do, do, do the work. I totally agree. Um, Christopher, there's so much more. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just in terms of expense. Is there anything that we've missed that you think is a, is a nugget that our oh, I don't political know. party listeners would... Oh, I love, your, so I love your listeners. I don't know. I can't. I can't think. What, so much um, great detail in here. Yeah, there's I almost mean, too much to cover. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, I just think it was a extraordinary time. Um, MPs even now um, don't want to talk about it. We, we're doing a we're doing a podcast interviewing an MP at the time, yeah. and we and no one will say yes. I mean, they if you raise it with them, they look a bit haunted. Um, and it's you know, they, they MPs do not want to discuss this. You know, even 10 years later, even the ones who benefited, I remember meeting an MP who came in in 2010 who had benefited from the, from the from an MP leaving Parliament maybe sooner than they expected because of the scandal and said, oh, you're the Telegraph, Telegraph, we don't like you, do we? And I said, well, you know, you should like us because you've got a job in Parliament now. But there's, you know, it took a while to get over the antipathy towards Telegraph corporately oh, in Parliament um, from these MPs because, of course, you know, we'd been quite a wake-up call. I think the M- Telegraph... To our credit, was perfectly placed to the story. I think we had the space. We are the last ma- mass market broadsheet uh, uh, out there. We have the space of you know all those on every single page, all all of those uh, stories. We are quite big. We just we are pushing back online. We are well placed. One of the things we couldn't do actually, um, we were trying to. We were trying to. The idea had been to publish the um, the. Uh, every single MP's ex- uh, expenses as we go through them. Yeah. But one of the problems we had was when we we were so we'd have a you know say Peter Vigors' expenses. We were trying. We had to redact all the information very carefully. So his home address, any anything which might indicate where he lived or his personal details. Um, but one of the worries we we didn't know was if we if we did it with a computer program, could that be reversed online by some person trying to of make course, us give away yeah. personal details? So. We had to be very, so we only had to publish the uh, documents sort of justifying the reporting, um, and and uh, other journalists because they had to rely on what we had. They hadn't got it. Had to keep saying documents seen by the Telegraph. So we got maximum oh great um, name checks, as they say in our <laughs> game. And um, we sold an extra million copies of the paper just for the paper. Which, wow, which justified um, the money we paid for the disc. Oh, brilliant! Well, uh, Christopher. It's been a real pleasure having you here, and great to get 
the insight, because so much has happened in those 10 years, and so much of it arguably is a, as a result of this that's been very, very positive. Um, so thank you. Do listen to Chopper's Brexit <laughs> podcast. It is a, it's a great podcast. And, um, well, hopefully at some point we can get you back in. Thank you, Matt. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Great fun. Thank you. Well, there you go. Christopher Hope from The Telegraph. Do listen to his Chopper's Brexit podcast. It is, uh, it's a very cheery take uh, on the, uh, the, uh, the situation we find ourselves in. Let's put it like that. He was a brilliant guest, of course. And there's no way you can really cover the breadth and depth of the MP's expense scandal in an hour, really. Uh, it's the sort of thing that uh, should do six episodes on and really go into it. Um, if anyone wants to do that, you can do it and I'll listen to it. <laughs> but it was great fun talking to him about it. Um, and who knows, maybe this was the crucial step in getting me a lobby uh, or press pass. So, I mean, he took all that with very good nature. I'm, I'm not sure if he really grasped that I was being absolutely deadly serious, that I really do want a lobby pass. Um, but... I shall, uh, I shall pursue that as a line of inquiry. Thank you so much for listening to this. Don't forget, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Tickets for all my live shows, whether it's the political party recordings or indeed the tour, are available online. And my new Edinburgh show will be on sale soon as well. So uh, it never stops, but that's a good thing. So uh, please share this. Leave a review on iTunes. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Just spread the word because then it helps loads of other people find it. Um, and that is that, really. The end for this week. I've been Matt Ford and this episode of The Political Party was produced by Daisy Knight. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.